Hello, my name is Joel McMahon. I'm pastor at San Philip United Methodist Church located in historic San Philip, Texas. We welcome you to our uh, weekly podcast, which uh, is broadcast through his247.com. If you're ever in the San Philip area, which is about 50 miles west of Houston, we'd invite you to come and visit with us. Uh, let's bow our heads now for just a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we bow before you at this time, we just want to thank you for all that you've done and continue to do in our lives. You bless us in so many ways. Now, this is another weekend on lockdown for most of us, but while we're waiting for this virus to end, we can enjoy a closer walk with you, and that's why we've come to this point where we're bowing before you at this time. We know that whatever comes our way, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. We ask that you continue to heal us, comfort us, and keep us covered under the precious blood of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray now. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with me to Romans, the sixth chapter. I'm going to be reading the 11th through the 14th verses this day. And as I do so, you may want to follow along with me because we're actually going to be in this passage for two weeks, this week and next week. Hear these words found in Paul's epistle to the Romans. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I'd like to start out today with a story. A young man stands with his eyes glazed over with shock. His eyes slowly shift in utter disbelief from the still smoking gun in his hand to his best friend laying on the floor with an ever-growing red spot on his chest. His eyes fill with fear as the life-giving blood of his best friend begins to flow from the wound and starts to stain the carpet. I didn't know I didn't know. I didn't know the gun was loaded. As the young victim's family enters the room, the boy's mother screams in shock. The young man with the gun still in his hand utters, I didn't mean to. I didn't know the gun was loaded. Please believe me. I didn't know. He slowly lets the instrument of death slip from his fingers and runs to clutch his best friend and as he holds his friend, he begins to sob. I didn't know. As the paramedics struggle to stop the blood flow through the room comes the most agonizing scream. I didn't know. 
A lot of people die because someone didn't know a gun was loaded. People often die over some careless mistake. It's not always a gun or knife that destroys or kills. It's not always a terrorist bomb or some other violent weapon. Sometimes it's just idle words or careless actions on our part. Nothing meant to harm anyone. We're just playing with an unloaded gun. In our scripture lesson today, the Apostle Paul reminds us of the seriousness with which we should view sin. And as I look around today, I'm afraid that many have forgotten its deadliness, both physically and spiritually, and are treated this deadly force more flippantly than an unloaded gun. Virtually every page of the Bible has something to say implicitly or explicitly about sin. The Bible makes it clear that the supreme problem we all have is sin and that we need a salvation that addresses sin, not only the concrete acts of rebellion, but all of its effects, including alienation and injustice and suffering and sickness and war and hate and finally death itself and hell. The notion of sin in Scripture is the notion of what is wrong with the universe and therefore constitutes what it is that God has sent his Son to address. Now there are two dimensions to sin. One is vertical, the other is horizontal. And all sin has repercussions on both the vertical plane and the horizontal plane. We see how this works in Psalm 51. In verse 4, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassions, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now this man really knows how guilty he is, and this is in connection with his having been confronted by Nathan over his uh, handling of Bathsheba and Uriah. He goes on to say, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And then he continues against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now, I'd ask you to think about this. Did David really just sin against God? No. David sinned against God, yes, but he also sinned against Bathsheba. He seduced her. And he sinned against Uriah the Hittite. He had him killed. He sinned against the military high command. He corrupted them. He sinned against the nation in that he was the chief magistrate and he failed on a functional level. He sinned against his own family. He betrayed them. It is hard to think of anybody that David did not sin against in that particular time. No, David didn't sin only against God. 
His sin did great harm to many other people. And so it is with our sin. Our sin, no matter how paltry or private we may consider it, has repercussions for evil and harm that we may never, ever know. But on another level, David's sin is against God, and that is exactly the point on one level. Because you see, what makes sin so heinous is not all of its the horizontal dimensions, but ultimately that it is defiance against God. It is not loving God with heart, soul, and mind, and strength. If David had loved God with all of his heart, and soul, and mind, and strength, he would not have committed any of the sins he committed. In all of our sins, whether it is cheating on our income tax, or nurturing bitterness, or succumbing to fits of rage, or jealousy, or anything else, God is always the most offended party. That means in Scripture, whatever else we have, we must have forgiveness from God. The heart of the worst effects of sin is being alienated from God, cut off from Him who is our Maker and the Giver of life. If He stands against us, we are truly lost. As it says in Scripture, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We are undone. If He stands against us, we are lost. That's the place I came to in my own life when I realized that my sin separated me from God, that there was nothing I could do to undo that chasm. And apart from God, when this life was over, all I faced was hell. And there was nothing that I could do to undo anything that I had ever done wrong in my life. I couldn't take back one whit of pain I'd inflicted on other people. I couldn't undo one lie. I couldn't undo anything. And thank goodness for the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, because when I came to the end of my rope and I cried out, Jesus, help me, he let me know that, yes, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And as he said, no one comes to the Father but through him. And our Father is a holy God. And the only way that we can have fellowship with a holy God is to have our sin not just forgiven, but blotted out. And nothing will do that but the precious blood of Jesus. In this day, we spend a great deal of time trying to justify and rationalize and excuse sin instead of seeing it as the thing that sends people to hell. And since this is such an important matter, I intend to spend this message and the next message on this particular passage because it covers the heart of what we need to be doing in our own personal lives. We find here a description 
of a great conflict or battlefield and how you fight and how you win. And so today I want us to look at the battlefield and the conflict and the contestants and what's at stake. And next week we're going to be looking at how you fight the battle and how you win the battle when you fight it. First then, in verses 12 through 14, we see the description of a great conflict or battle in the life of a typical believer. This is you and me that we're talking about here, not an unbeliever. Now, there are eight things that we see in this conflict that I want to go through with you quickly. First, there's a kingly throne or reign. In verse 12, Paul says, do not let sin reign. There's a reign that is to be contested in this passage. Next, there is a challenger to this throne, a revolutionary, a rebel who wants to take over the kingdom. And that rebel, that revolutionary's name is sin. Do not let sin reign, the scripture says. Sin is in revolt and mutiny, and it means to lead a coup and gain the throne, and you are called to resist. Next, there is a town and there is a castle that are under attack by the challenger to the throne, namely your body. And he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Also, there are servants in the castle who may become deceptive secret agents of the rebellious, well, the rebellious leader and use their inside servant role to seduce and capture parts of the castle. These servants are called desires. And here the scripture says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. The word desire in and of itself is neutral. Desires may become evil desires or lusts, but not if the rebel sin does not capture them and if you do not surrender them. Next, there is incremental surrender possibly. And that's what the word obey signals in verse 12. It says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. If sin, the leader of the revolt, takes some desire captive and sends it in behind the castle walls with a deceptive promise of immunity and reward for capitulation, for surrendering, the obedience to that desire would be the surrender of part of the castle. Next, there are weapons in the castle that may be captured and turned around and used by the enemy for his unrighteous purposes. These weapons are the parts of your body, your eyes, your ears, the tongue and hands and feet and the sexual organs. Verse 13 says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. The Greek word hopla, which is translated weapons here, 
In all its four other uses in the New Testament, three in Paul's epistles and one in the Gospel of John, it always means weapons, not just instruments. In other words, I'm not just making up this battle imagery. Paul is pointing to it. He says, don't let the rebel sin capture the members of your body and turn them into weapons against the true king. Next, there is a true king over the realm, namely God the Father. Verse 13 says, do not surrender the members of your body to sin, the rebel contender for the throne, so he can make them weapons of unrighteousness. Instead, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as weapons of righteousness to God. So you see, the true king is God. Sin is the rebel and the insurrectionist. Stay loyal to the true king with all your weapons and all your servants. That's all your desires and all your members. Stay true. And then finally, there is a constitutional authority of the kingdom, namely, namely grace, not law. Verse 14 says, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Well, that's the situation that's described here. That's the conflict. And now I want to show you three things you need to know in order to begin to handle sin properly and to win the battle. These are the first three things you need to know. First, God is our king. To him belong the castle of the body and the service of our desires and the weapons of our members and the throne of the kingdom. The call here is for us to be loyal to the king. He made us alive and made us his dwelling place through Jesus Christ. Keep trusting him and depending on him and submitting to him. Resist all contenders for the throne of your life. It belongs to God. Next, sin is not just an act. Sin is a power. Verse 12 says, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Sin threatens to reign. You see, it's not just the acts we do, but the power that takes us captive through desires and brings actions about. There is a power that we are battling against. Third, the desires of the body are not sin in and of themselves, but are servants of the body. Now they can be captured by the rebel leader's sin and made into internal enemy agents that seduce us into handing over members of our body that then become weapons of unrighteousness. In verse 12, we read, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Its refers to the body, not sin. Autu is uh, the word that is, it's a word that's neutral. 
and it's not feminine. Uh, it's, it's body, so it's desires. So it agrees with somati, the Greek word somati, uh, not amartia, which means sin. Somati means the body. Amartia is the body is, is sin. In other words, the desires of the body can be captured by the power of sin and made to serve anti-God, anti-Christ aims. Parts of your body can be captured by Judas-like servant desires and handed over to the enemy for unrighteous acts. If they are faithful desires, loyal desires, reflecting the truth and value of God, then we may please them. But if sin captures them, and makes them his deceptive agents, then our pleasing them would be joining the conspiracy and may become treason. Here are some examples. First of all, the desire for food or hunger, which serves us well. But when sin captures it, the desire can become gluttony or bulimia or an anorexia, and it rules us for the sake of the enemy. And our tongue and mouth and stomach become weapons of unrighteousness. The desire for drink, thirst, can serve us well. But when sin captures it, the desire may become alcoholism or caffeine addiction, and then it becomes a weapon of unrighteousness. The desire for sexual satisfaction, which is a good servant of procreation and marriage joy. But if sin captures it, the desire becomes lust for pornography or fornication or adultery or homosexual relations and our sexual organs become the weapons of unrighteousness. The desire for rest and sleep, which serves us well, are also something that can be captured. And if sin captures it, the desire becomes sloth and laziness. <clears throat> so how do you fight and win this battle? That is what we will talk about next week uh, from this same text. But as you can see already, I hope <clears throat> the battle is not a surface battle <clears throat> as if you could just say no to a list of unrighteous acts. The battle is so much deeper than that. It goes beneath acts to desires, and it goes beneath desires to the power of sin. And it goes beneath the power of sin to our union with Christ. And it goes beneath union with Christ to what Christ did in history on the cross for us and what happened to us in him. And the big issue is not just what acts you do or don't do or what desires you give into and which you don't. The big issue really is who is king? Who reigns? That is the issue that we need to uh, grasp today and that we need to conclude with today. This question, who is your king? Who reigns in your life? Who 
are you submitting to? Are you submitting to sin or are you submitting to God through Christ Jesus our Lord? Let it be God through Jesus Christ. Christ has made it possible for sinners to surrender to God with a complete amnesty. And all rebellion can be forgiven. Trust Christ and hand yourselves over to God. While you have been listening to this, you may have realized that you have been yielding to your desires and they have become an enemy. And they become an enemy of God and they become your enemy too. Jesus Christ has made a way for you to have access to the throne of grace. He's inviting you today to submit your members to him, your desires to him. He knows you have needs, and he has ways for those needs to be met that doesn't involve submitting to sin. And so if you are longing to be set free from sin and death and to have the life which God offers, just pray with me right now. Lord, I realize now that my life is separated from the true life that you want me to have because of my sin, which I have allowed to reign in my body and it's been in rebellion against you. Forgive me, O God. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and making a way for me to receive forgiveness and for my sins to be washed away. I don't want to live the life that I've been living anymore. I want to give my life to you. I want to submit myself to you. I give myself to you right now. Here I am. From now on, I am yours, and you are my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now, Father, all those that prayed that prayer, I pray, O oh God, that you would send your Holy Spirit upon them to wash them, cleanse them, and know your perfect power and peace at work in them. Give them your love, your joy, your peace, your patience, and your self-control. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us at this time, and I hope we see you next week.